Good morning. It's so good to be with you, albeit it's just a little bit different today. Uh, I wanted to record this message ahead of time, obviously, because when you're watching this on Sunday, I'm actually going to be out of town with my wife on a marriage conference over the weekend. We just want to build into our marriage and make it as strong as we can uh, to withstand all the attacks of the enemy. Uh, So that's where I am physically, but I've been working on this message for a month, and I didn't want to miss the chance to actually be able to share with you what God's put on my heart about James chapter four. We're in the middle of a series right now called James, Advice for Refugees Traveling the Jesus Road. See, James was writing to refugees. He was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and all his people uh, were facing persecution, and they fled for their lives all over the region. And James wrote a book, well, he wrote them a letter, which now is the book of James, And uh, James wrote to them, giving them advice on how they should live on this Jesus road. Like like they're away, and he wants to give advice to these refugees. And if you think of it, we're refugees today. We are displaced from our home. Our home is heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We should be thinking about heaven as our home, as our eternal destination. And so our earth time right now is... Well, it's just that. It's, it's earth time. Uh, and, and we're displaced from our homes, and so we need this advice. We need the advice that James has to share uh, with us today uh, and how we can live on the Jesus road. One of the things I think is kind of interesting with, uh, with James is just how like, like direct he is. He doesn't pull any punches. Like There is no candy-coated version of the book of James. It is just like, he gives it to you. And I can appreciate that, right? Like, it's like direct. You don't have to wonder what he really meant. He just lets you have it. And, and I, I, the reason I think it's okay, like I like that, because legend has it, he's no hypocrite. Uh, in, in Christian history that people wrote about James, James, the brother of Jesus, was incredibly staunch in his own Christianity and his own beliefs. He took it very seriously. Therefore, I feel that kind of gives him a right to be pretty bold to other Christians because he's not telling you how, you know, go to do it. And then he does whatever he feels like. He's living it. He actually is the kind of Christian that he's telling us to be. So that's what this series is all about, the book of James. If you miss, miss a week, you can always catch up online. The first week I shared that the Jesus road is bumpy. It's a bumpy road. We should expect trials and temptation. The second week, my dad preached, and he shared that uh, the Jesus road is very demanding. There is a lot of road rules for us. And this week, we're going to look at James chapter 4. When a war ends, there's usually uh, surrender. And there's two different types of surrender that happen in war. One is conditional surrender. Surrender. The other is unconditional surrender. An example of conditional surrender may be the Civil War. At the end of the Civil War, the, the Union and the Confederates were fighting, and this is America fighting each other. And when the Confederates finally um, gave up, when they surrendered, it was conditional. Like, they got to go home. All of the, the warriors, they got to keep their horses because they were going to need their horse to go farm. They got to actually, many of them keep their guns. They didn't even have to return in their guns. They got to go home. Unconditional surrender, an example of that would be like World War II. Germany had to 
unconditionally surrender. The Allied forces were moving in, and it was like, we're going to kill all you unless you unconditionally surrender. None of you get to go home. You're going to all be tried. Everybody's arrested. Everyone's going to be tried for their war crimes. That was unconditional surrender. The big idea of James chapter 4 is that our life needs to be unconditionally surrendered to our King Jesus. All of it. Unconditional surrender. There are parts within us that want to rebel against what God says, but none of those parts really get to go home. Like, like they're done. That's what water baptism symbolizes, right? We, we put to death the old man and we come out a new creature. So all of us needs to be completely surrendered to God. That's what James chapter four is all about. It, the Jesus road requires unconditional surrender. God wins. Any part he wants to explore in our hearts, it's, it's up to him. That's what this is about. So let's dig into these verses. I'm going to be in James chapter 4. You can turn or tap there. And uh, the notes, uh, uh, as we said earlier, are, the notes are going to be uh, on our website. You can follow along there as well. So here's number one. Let me give you number one. The root of many problems is our me-ness. Me-ness. Yes, I made up a word. I'm allowed to. I got the mic. I can make up words if I want. We did it. It's in print. Meanness. Let me read the uh, passage for this. James chapter 4, verse 1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? The root of many problems is our meanness. I love this. James doesn't even take the time to say, like, you know, in your fights or quarrels, let's talk, about what the other, let's talk about what the other side of this fight and quarrel is. He doesn't. He doesn't say that. He doesn't talk. He just kind of, he's not sugarcoating nothing. He says, you got fights and quarrels? That's your fault. <laughs> uh, it's, it's you. It's, 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 it's your me-centeredness that causes the fights and the quarrels, our own evil desires. Do you feel that? This battle within you? Paul did. Paul did. In Romans chapter 7, Paul said, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is right there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. There is a battle in the heart of every believer. You surrender to God and then parts of you don't. I'm sure you identify with me in this. And we, together we're identifying with Paul in this case. We want to follow Jesus, but at the same time there's this battle within us. And it's the battle about whether or not God will be fully in charge of our life or not. We all have to decide daily. We all have to decide just how much of us is God going to get today? How surrendered are we going to be today? And this very issue is the root of our fights and quarrels, according to James. But James goes further. Here's number two. God is your fulfillment. God is your fulfillment. Here in the next verse, watch how James is really connecting with us. 
uh, on this idea of like striving to be fulfilled, right? We all want to be fulfilled. Like we, wanna, we want this, we want to feel fulfilled and like feel like we got everything together. So James is going to connect with you. Check this out. James chapter one, verse two. Chapter four, verse two. It says, you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. Now, before any of you start arguing with me and you say, no, 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 I've never killed anybody. Like I get that there's not like murderers in our room. But remember, Jesus said uh, in his Sermon on the Mount, he said, if you have hate against a brother in your heart, you've already murdered, right? So murder is more than just killing somebody. Murder is like murder of the heart, like hatred in your heart. There may not be many actual murderers together with us today, but there's a lot of people that have had hate in their heart before. God's looking at our heart. So this is including us, right? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. Maybe you even get angry or hateful. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive, because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. So here, James is connecting with us, because he knows that we're all looking for fulfillment in a bunch of different things. We have this drive inside of us to try to be fulfilled by our own me-ness. A better job, better promotion, more money, more power. That, that fulfills me, right? That would make more influence. That will fulfill me, right? Or, or maybe we'll be fulfilled with more significance or responsibility. Or, or we, can, we can feel fulfilled by having a relationship status. Or... If we have enough riz, if you don't know what riz means, just talk to somebody younger. They'll explain it to you. Riz. You know, it's your car, your house, the number of friends you have or, or how many likes or follows you get on, on the Instagram. We want those things to fulfill us. And they don't. Ultimately, those things will never fulfill us. And it creates problems. That's what James is saying. It's going to create problems. We hurt others and we fight because we're looking for something besides God. James says, when you ask God for it, you don't receive, even when you do ask God for it, because you don't ask for more of God. You're asking God to give you stuff besides him. Think about how crazy this is. We all do it. We can have everything we need, everything we need can come from, from God. I think it's Peter says, says uh, God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. So everything we need is from God. Yet when you pray, you ask God for all this other stuff. Like everything we need is from him. But when we pray, we, we go looking for this other stuff. I need things. Lord, give me that promotion. Lord, give me that job. Everything we need is here. In this passage, James tells us that our prayers are not answered because of our, our own motives. We're, we're praying for what we want, absent of what God wants. That is how it's possible to pray wrong. You pray wrong if you're just praying for what, what you want and not what uh, God wants. And the only way out of this trap is complete and total, unconditional surrender to Jesus. I told you, James doesn't sugarcoat it, and so I don't see a reason to. God wants total submission from our lives. Here's number three. God's favor is shown 
to the submitted. God's favor is shown to those who are submitted. So James just got done saying, uh, you have a chance to be close with Jesus. You have a chance to have everything you need from God. But instead you ask for this other stuff? You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity? I never can say that word. Enmity. Enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chose to be a friend of the world, asking for the other stuff, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God's favor is shown to the submitted. Isn't it great that there's more grace? There's always more grace available to us. There's hope for me. There's hope for you yet. You can turn to the person next to you and tell them, there's hope for you. Go ahead, hope for you. James starts this segment and he says, you adulterous people. That language is the language that's usually used between a man and a wife. So the analogy here is that uh, we are the bride of Christ in position, right? Like I'm not God's girlfriend, but the church together, we are the bride of Christ. We have the position of his bride. Isaiah says it like this. See how Jerusalem, once so faithful, has become a prostitute. It's impossible here. Jerusalem is a city. It can't be, it can't be a prostitute. But what it's saying is, is the people of God, the people of Jerusalem, the people of God, have become a prostitute. They've not been faithful to the one they were connected to. And James says that of us, when we could have everything we want from Jesus and we go and look other places, he's saying, you adulterous people. When we're not submitted to God and we're showing affection for the world or not heavenly things, that is enmity. I'm behaving like an enemy of God in those occasions. This is strong language. So let me ask, if I'm an enemy of God, does that mean I lose my salvation? Great question. I'm so glad you asked. Let me fill in the blanks there. Uh, if I'm an enemy of God, did I lose my salvation? No. Uh, it's like, imagine this. If my wife and I have a fight, things aren't okay. We're having a fight. It's not okay. There's tension. But I'm still married. I don't become unmarried the moment we fight. It doesn't make me not married anymore. It just makes me stupid. Of course, I'm the one that's stupid every time. It's always me. The same way here. Being submitted doesn't mean that I lose my salvation. You're not the enemy of God in the sense that he's like, he's out to destroy you and like send lightning at you or nothing. Uh, but when you're not submitted, things aren't okay. You and God aren't close. You're not submitted to him. You're being an adulterous person. Like, like the two of you, God and you, you're not close. But there's more grace. Praise the Lord, there's more grace available to us. If you're not close, you could, you could be close to this instant if you wanted to be. It just requires total and complete submission to Jesus. Just submit a little more today. This passage says that God is jealously longing for us. If a husband or a wife shows a yearning for another outside of the relationship, the other spouse would be jealous. I'll be the first to admit it. I need my wife. If she started showing a yearning for some other person, I'd be jealous. 
because, and it's a selfish jealousy because I need her. But here in James where, where it says that God is jealously longing for us, it's not selfish. It's not for him. He has a pure jealousy. It's not focused on him, selfish. It's focused on us. He's jealous of our time because he, it's better for us if we're with him. For our benefit, we can be closer to him. That's what he wants. So there's plenty of grace for all of us. We just turn back to him. Here's number four. James chapter four tells us, spiritual warfare begins with submission. Spiritual warfare begins with submission. Verse seven starts out, he says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. This is what spiritual warfare looks like, by the way. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. This passage is centered around instructions for resisting the devil, spiritual warfare. And all of these things are, are instructions and advice for how to resist the devil. And it starts out with this instruction, submit to God. Submit yourselves to God. I've said it a, a bunch of times here. Your battle is not against flesh and blood if you're submitted to God. If you're not submitted to God first, if God doesn't have all of you first, you, you have a different battle. You're battling yourself. You can't battle the devil until you've submitted to yourself to God because you're just going to be fighting at a war with yourself and your own evil desires. If you're not submitted to God first, you're just battling yourself or worse, you're battling God. And that's not a good place to be. If you want to do spiritual warfare, it starts with complete surrender, submission to God. That's why I say that the, that the Jesus road is a humble road. This passage tells us to resist the devil. Come near to God. We need to resist Satan. These are verbs for us to do. We need to come near to God. These are our steps to take. It doesn't automatically happen. Being close with God and fighting the devil, that does not automatically happen. It's going to get harder and harder from here on out. We had several decades in America where there was just a kind of a cultural Christianity where everything, like people all kind of lived like what Jesus wanted us to do, and we were all, for the most part, all right, you know, our behavior's okay. Uh, that's done. And as I read my Bible, I imagine it's, uh, it's probably done. Like it's worse from here on out. It is imperative that we submit fully to God and resist the devil. Like, like, Come near to God. It's not easy. It does not happen automatically. It's not a default position for Christians today. We have to try. We have to try in our relationship with God. And parents, we have to show our children how to do it because they're growing up in a world where no one will show them how unless you do. So we have to try. We have to try to resist the devil. We have to try to come near to God. These are our steps. And then James tells us 
that, that when, we, when we repent, we have to grieve, mourn, and wail. That's what it looks like to truly be submitted. It's a, it's a picture of repentance. Repentance is truly a sorrowful thing. It's like, like the word repenting, it means like, like you're going one way, like, and then you change your mind. It's a mind change. I'm going to shift, and I'm going to go this way. I was, I was following, going away from God, but now I'm going to turn, and I'm going to go towards God. And when you go away from God, and you've been walking in the mud, walking in the muck, and you turn back around towards God, like, what's James tell you? Grieve, mourn, and wail. You should say, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry my feet are muddy. Like, like, don't skip that. Like, we have to recognize, I, I hate this muck. I hate the way this feels. I don't want to be far from God. We have to remember what that feels like to be in the muck and then run back towards him who purifies us and makes everything wonderful again. The idea here is brokenness. God wants us broken before him. If we break ourselves before him and, and submit to him, he can create something better. We can begin to fight demons only when we are fully submitted in our hearts, broken before him. And then when we're broken, we give God our pieces and he puts them together. When you yield to the will of Jesus, that's what submitting is. When you do that, you put everything in his hands. And that's number five. Submission is giving God all the room he wants. Submission is giving God all the room he wants. James chapter four, verse 13 says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this town, I'm sorry, this or that city, we'll spend a year there and carry on business and we're gonna make some money. Why? You don't even know what tomorrow will happen. I'm sorry, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Isn't this wild? If you had a friend that just graduated college and he said, you know what, I got some plans. I'm going to go to Denver. Uh, in my field, there's a lot of, there's some plants opening up that's really going to give me some opportunities. And if I'm in the, the city, it'll be really easy for me to get some more, uh, uh, some better uh, interviews and, and such. I'm just going to go out to Denver for a year and I think I'm going to get a job and I'll make it from there. Like, would you call that arrogant? Would you, would you call it an arrogant scheme? Uh, James does. Like, this is kind of wild. This, like, this, should, this messes with our mind a little bit. This is not saying, let me clarify, this is not saying that making plans is arrogant. Making a plan is a very biblical thing, like, like planning for tomorrow and, and setting aside what you need for tomorrow. These are biblical ideas. Make a plan, write it down. Uh, that's a biblical idea. What James is saying is that it's arrogant to think that your life is so important that you can make plans without God. That's what it's about. Uh, your life is not so important that you can just make plans absent from God. Your life needs to be about whatever God wants it to be about. Still, a little hard. This is a hard thing to hear. James doesn't sugarcoat it, so I'm just telling you. 
what he said. Here in this passage, there are two really big spiritual ideas. The first is the sovereignty of God, and the second is submission to God. The sovereignty of God says, says, if God wills it, I'll live. And the submission to God says, here's my life, what kind of life do you want it to be? That's the sovereignty of God and the, and the submission to God. The sovereignty says, if God wills it, I guess I get to live. And submission to God says, God, how should I live? How do you want it? What kind of life do you want this to be? You, you let me have it, so what kind of life do you want it to be? When we are rightly connected to the sovereignty of God, with, with submission to him, great things start to happen in our spiritual life. Your spiritual life, like it'll really start to cook at that point. This grates against everything that makes America wonderful, doesn't it? Like, we have big ideas. It's, it's the American dream. You dream it up and then make it happen. Uh, it's kind of grates against it. The sovereignty of God says you don't even get to dream if it's not for God. And he's the one that tells you what kind of life you should have. We have big ideas and big dreams. And we can make them happen. And so you may ask, what about my life? What about, what about my dreams? What about the desires of my heart? Let's, let's, put, let's put our meanness in, in the right category, okay? Psalm 37, verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. And he'll give you the, de the desires of your heart. But like, what do you got to do first? Delight yourself in the Lord. You, you put him first and then come the desires of your heart. What about your dreams? Delight yourself in the Lord first. Uh, Matthew 6 says, Jesus teaches us that we seek first, first the kingdom of God. Then all these things will be added to you, right? So God, God has to be in the first place. That's what he wants. He wants to be first. It's his thing. So what about your life? What about my life? What about my dreams? What about it? What about it? 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul writes, you aren't your own. You were bought at a price. Jesus owns us, church. What about your plans? What about your life? When you choose to live for Jesus, you, you are choosing to allow Jesus to be in charge. And Jesus deserves what he paid for. You were bought at a price. And he deserves our life. Paul explained salvation like this. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if you went to Paul, if Paul were around today and you went up to him and you said, hey, Paul, how's life going? And he, he may look back at you and say, what life? What are you talking about? How's life going? What are you talking about? And you'd say, you know, you know your life, your, uh, your tent-making business, you're still making those tents, Paul, of Tarsus. How's your schooling going? You know, your, your life. And Paul, Paul would probably say, oh, that life, yeah, yeah, that one died. That one's not important anymore. My life now, my life is Christ actually now. Christ lives in me. Again, I, I don't think the Bible teaches that we should not have plans, that we should not be thinking like 
if you have an opportunity to apply for a different job, by all means, go do it after you pray. If you have an opportunity to move to a different house, by all means, go do it after you pray. If you have an opportunity to go get uh, schooling and that's what makes sense to your brain, great, go do it after you pray. We have to be regularly submitting to God and asking God to have influence on every plan we have. Like, every plan we have. Let's, let's just allow God to influence it. What should I think? Wouldn't it be wild if, like, God could read our thoughts? Psst, he can. Like, he does. He knows. So let's give them to him. What should I do, Lord? What should I say? How should I respond? How should I react, God? Where do I drive? Should I drive? Where should I go? What should I plan? This is sovereignty and submission. Sovereignty of God says, if God wills it, I get to live. And the submission to God says, God, thanks for letting me live. What do you want of my life? What do you want of it? And whatever he says, those are the plans we go and make. Like, make those plans. Because if he makes clear to us what we should do, and we don't do it for that person, it's sin. And that's what James is saying in this passage. And that's what it looks like to be fully submitted. Uh, I invite you now, let's all please stand together.